Okay, welcome back. And thank you so, so much for all coming. Like we didn't send out any email, any text message, any WhatsApp or anything like that. So I wasn't even sure if like anyone was gonna know we started. Thank you for being back. I think this was the biggest break we ever had since we started this class a long time, like August. Like, I don't know how many things happened since then. So we're really honored to have you back. And if any of your friends did not find out that normally come to the class, tell them we've started and present that show. We hope to continue every week. Today's class is dedicated in memory of a man that I had a really fond relationship of, and he used to pray in this shul, especially one in the old days when it was in the East Second, East Third location, um, in memory of Mr. Joe Wenger, Shalom. Yosef Ben by his wife, Emily, and his children, and his grandchildren. And Joe had a, a beautiful way about him. He'd come to shul. Maybe even reading was difficult for him, but he was always in shul, always complimentary about the class or the speech. And uh, Rabbi Joey, Rabbi Joey, and he'd say, he was always very, very warm and very friendly. He was like the mayor of AVUP, so doing the class a block off of AVUP. And people really loved him very much. And he and his wife, you know, when I paid the shiva call, had a nice conversation with his wife, you got to see that there's like a magic in their house. And they really raised um, wonderful, wonderful children and wonderful grandchildren. And I'm close to a number of those grandchildren. And he is so proud of his grandchildren and what they've become and the families that his children are building. So what an honor. Again, we miss you. We miss you very much, Joe. We love you. You were a big, big, big part of what our shul is and was. But it's a tremendous honor today for our Torah to be dedicated by your wife and children in your memory and Bezrat Hashem, who you are and the conviction that he had. You know, this man used to, back in the day, go to work on Shabbat. And this is the beauty of our community, men like this. When one day his son said a comment to him like, Dad, like, you know, come on, why do you keep doing this? And one night he came back out of the train and he said, I've got a different job. I'm not working on Shabbat anymore. And those decisions are what builds tremendous families. It really is. And many of us in this room have people in our history that made decisions like that, and that's how we become who we are. So very often, our little kids have no idea why they became that. They think it's just, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. No, no, your great-grandpa that you never met is the person who made the decision that changed your whole life. So it's a tremendous honor, and thank you for dedicating Okay, so it's good to be back. What we are going to talk about today is the ongoing battle we all are waging with the Yetzirah. It's a difficult battle. We're always in this battle. And I think at times we don't stop and recognize what we are up against. And today what we're going to focus on is understanding when you're in this battle with the Yetzirah, with this evil inclination, what exactly are you up against? Because last week's parasha and this week's parasha, parasha Bereshit and parasha Noah, is all about a world that was consumed with the Yetzirah. And all about the Yetzirah really destroying the world. In the middle of this class, at times, you may think that I'm giving a class that has to do with current events. I'm not. I don't know enough current events or details about it to be giving a really strong personal opinion. I'm just using it at times as an example to make our point. So here we go. 
At the end of last week's parasha, it says, Vayar Hashem, God saw, Ki ra'at adam. Man was doing very bad. This is what would lead to the flood. And all of his thoughts, rak kol hayom, is only bad all day. That's a very strong phrase. And the Targum explains it to mean it's only bad all the days. So you're telling me that man is so bad, is doing so bad, but not just doing bad actions, but has thoughts that are only bad all day. And all of time. And then we begin our parasha where God tells this man named Noah, who's a Sadiq Tamim, he tells Noah, this is, this is it, I'm bringing a flood, I'm going to destroy the entire world. And only you and your family are going to be saved. And now Hashem, it comes, now we fast forward to the moment after over a hundred years of preparation, it's time for Noah to enter the Teva. Hashem tells Noah, you and your children, your whole family should go into the Teva. You should go into the ark, because you, I see, you are a righteous man in front of me in this generation. So I have a few questions in all these pesukim. First of all, why is the Torah so repetitive about how bad we are? I got it, we're bad. No, we're so bad. We're so, so bad. We're so bad. All we think is bad all the time. We're so bad. Why do I have to say it so much? And then number two is that why Noah originally in the parasha was called Sadiq Tamim, which means righteous and like pure. And now when he's entering the Teva, it changes the word. It just says Sadiq, and it lets go of the word pure. Why do we let go of his purity at this pivotal moment in his life when he's entering into the ark, entering into the Teva? And then the final question is one that's famous and asked often, and I'm sure you've heard before. God could have saved Noah in a lot of ways. Why did he require him to build a teva for over a hundred years? There are so many options in how you can save a man. God has created all kinds of miracles in the past. Why does he have to do this? And again, I think this story is so important for our time. Because we live in a time where it feels like the world's upside down. We live in a time where the Yetzirah is dancing in the streets. And we live in a time where we almost feel at times that we have to like enter into a little bit of a teva and sort of learn how to battle, wage that war. So, a few days ago, something happened that just reminded me or reminded us about the addiction level that many people have. You know what I'm referring to? when WhatsApp and whatever else shut down. There were some people who were not sure if life could continue living. There were some people who would have rather their WhatsApp or their social media, what was it, Facebook or Instagram? They'd rather have their Instagram than oxygen. That so, it was such a big deal to so many people and it was such a serious thing to so many people that you just got a reminder of the addiction level. Like really it was, I think it was two, three hours. What was it, three hours? Six, Six hours, oh, you had on. Right, the look on your face is like it was a big deal, Rabbi. Don't minimize how bad this was. So, excuse, excuse me for, for putting it that way, but the truth is, it was a big deal. 
uh, to a lot of people. And it was just a reminder of how attached people became to this. So I want to try and explain how this happens by a commentary known as the Bet Halevi. The Bet Halevi is one of the head fathers of the of years ago of this Salabetric family. And he quotes the Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah that I'm trying, still struggling with making sure the words come out in the most appropriate way. But here's what the Gemara says, six words. Kol zona, any woman of ill repute, I think is the way they say. Shenisketet, that was, that is hired and paid. Lesof he socheret, eventually she pays. Says the Beit HaLevi, is the Gemara really telling us some insight on that industry? Like, that's what we need, some business insider. In the beginning she gets paid, but eventually she pays. Says, you're looking at me like, why am I bringing this up? You have no idea where we're going. So the Beit HaLevi says like this, it's not really a Gemara that necessarily in any way is talking just about that industry. What the Gemara said is talking about is any person that gets involved in sin. And the Gemara says, here's how it works. Initially, she does the sin because she needs the money. She's a single mom. You ask her, you tell her, it's disgusting. She says, it's horrible. It's the worst thing. It's terrible. She agrees with you. It's terrible. But what am I going to do? I have to raise my daughter to put her through college. Nothing I can do. I'm doing a terrible sin, but I'm doing I know it's terrible, but I'm doing it because I need the money. And needing the money is nothing wrong with needing the money. Any person needs the money. There's no problem, no crime with needing the money. Just like if you go to a person and say, you know, you're being dishonest. Dishonest is a terrible thing. They say, I know it's a terrible thing, but at the end of the day, I have a tuition bill, and there's, what am I going to do? I have to tell the government whatever I have to tell the government in order to go to pay the tuition bill. Rabbi, what am I going to do? Yeshiva tuition, it's high. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm sorry. I really don't want to be dishonest. I am disgusted by my own dishonesty. But at the end of the day, I have a goal, and that's why I'm doing it, and I have to do it for this goal. And anything you take for a person that's a sin, any example that you could come up with, most people will tell you in an honest moment, of course I know it's wrong, but there's a certain thing I need to achieve right now, and there's no other way to achieve it. So I want to hang out with people. Say, so, yeah, I'm in the wrong party, but i got to hang out with these people, so what am I going to do? So... What happens is, is a noble goal causes a person to do a very unnoble, if that's a word, very unnoble act. And then, here's what happens. Until those acts become a part of the person. Until the smoking becomes a part of the person. Until the zona, those actions become a part of who she is. Until the person who's gambling becomes that's part of his essence. Until the person who's watching what they shouldn't watch is that's what they do. Until a person who's dishonest, that's just how they act. And what happens is over time is that they need to do those actions even though the goal is no longer there. Means she, even though she's not getting paid anymore, she has to pay for it. That's how addicted she is to the action. Even though they don't anymore, not getting the relief from the cigarette. But that's how addicted they are to the action. Even though the drug isn't making them happy anymore. But it was originally, it was to be happy. And the idea of being happy is a noble goal. The action is just a sin. But over time, the goal falls away and you just become addicted to the act.
Says the says the Beit Halevi. That's what the Gemara is saying. You start off doing it just to a person, God forbid, starts off doing it just to get paid for a noble goal. Eventually, they become so addicted to the action that they pay for it, and that's what happens to all of us. It's what happens to all of us. Not God forbid on that level. I, I'm sorry for using that example. But that's just the example he uses in his holy book, and that's the example that's written in the Gemara. With that, Zarah, that you sign. So it's a holy place. That's where we got the example from. But the concept is so real. Every person who got themselves social media, got it, and this is not a class about social media, but got social media for a purpose. They want to interact, they want to see what's going on, they want people to see them what's going on. But ultimately, even if the purpose is no longer there, how many times have you found yourself sitting on a couch, scrolling, looking for nothing? The goal is gone. It's just the action. You became addicted to the action without even having the goal. It wasn't like people said, oh, what am I going to do for six hours? People aren't going to see a picture of my sunset. <laughs> what happened is, is that you just, because you could post a picture later. Just what happened is that you're so, we're so used to the action, we don't even see the goal anymore. This is my explanation something that I've been observing lately, that we've all been observing lately, that again, is everyone's talking about in the news. I don't have a strong opinion about this. I'm not knowledgeable enough about it. But I feel like this is what's happening. So on Cholam Ed, my wife took my girls to some trip. So I have two boys, three boys really, that are home from yeshiva. And I said, they need a little break. So on Friday, Cholam Ed Sukkot, I took my two boys and said, I'm going to take them to archery. You know that? There's a place in downtown Brooklyn. And I show them a shop that. Good. Get them in the car. Come on, boys. They learned in the morning. All morning, of course. I said, boys, let's go. It's 35, 40 minutes away. I get the way, the direction, figure it out. I get lost. I finally get there. I park. I'm not sure if it's legal or not. One day I'm going to give a class about whether I need to park legally or not, but that's not for today. So anyhow, I finally park. I get out of the car. I walk into the place. There's maybe three people in the whole place, a big archery place, the whole place. Before I even walk in, they say, mask, please. I said, okay, no problem, put on the mask. Then I said, okay, we're ready to go. They say, can we see your vaccine cards? I said, no problem, I have one. They said, but how about your two sons over 12? I said, yeah, they're over 12. I mean, they looked over 12. Over 12. Can't come, no vaccine cards. Are you kidding me? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Explain to me what you're talking about. I don't know about you. I've been dancing, hugging, kissing people for six months. I don't have any problem. And a lot of people get it. They go home. They sleep for a week. They come back. Oh, good to go. I know people involved in the hospitals. Nobody's in the hospital. Not from the community, mashallah. Not from out of the community. Nothing. What are you talking about? Like, what are you? And the people said it so absolute. It was like literally if I flew in from Japan, they would have said, go back home because you don't have that car. And walking away, I'm like, there's so much hype. I don't know if you find this weird. There's so much hype in the news about it. And we're living a reality that's completely separate from what's going on. Completely separate. Right now, we're doing what we do. We're all doing what we do every single day. And yes, people, yeah, every now and then, so on, oh, they're not available for the week because they had to stay home this week. Okay, very good. How are you feeling? He has a cold. He's staying home. Very good. 
and the whole world is acting. You can't come to the hospital, no one's allowed in, and you can't go to school, and you can't go to restaurant. What are you talking about? One of my humble opinion is this bad Talavi is what happened. Is they got so involved in the hype for a good purpose. And then they just became addicted to the concepts. So the media got addicted to it because it's exciting for them. Not in bad intent, but every weatherman likes snow. So the media <laughs> likes this, they just, it helps them. The government, it helps them, again, not with bad intent, but they can feel heroic when they can stop you, when they can help you, when they can give money, whatever. The doctors, it's good for them. You don't have to come to work, they don't come to work, you can't come. They don't have to have family members snooping around, telling them that they didn't give their father water. So it just fits with them. I don't think, and I don't mean, God forbid, that any of these people have real bad intention. I think, just think, they got used to it. And once you get used to it, even if the goal is no longer there, you're just attached to the act. That's what the Pasuk means, rak ra'a kol hayom, that the world had become attached to this bad mindset all day, and they couldn't get themselves out of it. Which is why when Hashem tells Noah to go into the Teva, he drops the word tamim. You know why? Because tamim is a virtue. That's funny. Tamim. Tamim is a virtue. Being pure is a good thing. Being pure is a holy thing. That's why when we originally described Noah, he was Sadiq. Tamim, he was righteous and pure, because that is a tremendous compliment for him. But now that the world had fallen apart, and he's entering the Teva, you have to lose your purity. No longer can you be so Tamim and so simple-minded. You need to know, understand what's happening around you in order to be able to combat what's happening. Timimut, simplicity, in so many ways is a wonderful thing. But when the Yetzir Hara is so much smarter than you, and the hype around you is so much deeper than you could ever anticipate, you can't just say, be no evil, see no evil, whatever the phrase is. You can't just think that way anymore. You have to be smart, and you have to be aware, and you have to know when is it something that, when is something that's real, and when is it something that's not. So in the beginning of the parasha, Noah is a tamim. But now when we tell Noah to go into the teva, he says, I'm telling you to go into the teva because I see you as a tzaddik bedor hazeh. I see you as righteous, but not pure in this generation. Because in this generation that you're in, Noah, purity, you got to get rid of the purity. You got to get rid of the simplicity. You have to be smart. Yaakov Avinu in his battles against his brother Esav wasn't simple. He was smart. When you're in a battle and you're waging a war, and no, I don't mean the war about COVID and vaccines. I don't mean that. I don't even mean the war about social media. I mean, when you're waging a war against the Yetzahara, you need to be smart. You can't be simple. And nowadays, what's happening around us, in my humble opinion, is not, again, not the COVID, not the, is we're addicted to hype. You see, hype used to be something that was used to get people to watch a Super Bowl. 
Hype was something that was used to get you to buy a product. Until hype became every day there's something going on to get you to think that now is a dangerous time, now is an exciting time, now is a distracted time, now is an important time. There's always something like that. Someone sent this to me, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but Fear strikes. In 2000, Y2K was going to destroy everything. In 2001, anthrax is going to kill us all. In 2002, West Nile virus is going to kill us all. 2003, SARS is going to kill us all. 2005, bird flu is going to kill us all. 2006, E. coli is going to kill us all. 2008, financial crisis is going to kill everybody. 2009, swine flu is going to kill us all. 2012, the Mayan calendar predicts the world is going to end. I don't remember that. 2013, Korea is going to cause World War III. 2014, Ebola is going to kill us all. 2015, ISIS is going to kill us all. 2016, Zika virus is going to kill us all. 2020, Corona is going to kill us all and it's never going to go away. So therefore, the truth is, fear and hype is going to kill us all. So turn off the TV and wash your hands. <laughs> but it's true that what the world lives on right now is that energy of this is a big deal. You gotta get distracted, man. Gotta get excited about it, or you have to get nervous about it, or you have to be worried about it, you have to obsess over it, you have to be completely distracted, you have to take your life off its normal course because the Yankees played a big playoff game last night. You have to take off your course because the kid can't be in school. Whatever is happening, whether it's waste of time, important, serious, scary, it's always hyped. And that starts to become inside of us and a part of us. So I am not here talking about media and I'm not here talking about vaccines. I don't have a deep opinion on the topic. I actually took the vaccine. And I, I'm not talking about social media. That's a different class. I'm talking about what's happening inside of you and me. What's happening inside of you and me is we have things that we involved ourselves in for a specific goal, and even though the goal is gone, we're still attached to it. Which explains why the battle against the Yetzir Hara is so hard. Let me tell you why. See, because when you're battling the when you battle an enemy, anytime a soldier goes to war against the enemy, the way that they're able to go to war is that they hate that enemy. They despise the enemy. They literally want to kill that enemy. They'll risk their own life to kill the enemy. That's how much they hate the enemy. The problem is. When it's the Yetzir Hara, that enemy that I hate and want to kill is inside of me. So I hate me. And I hate that part of me. So what makes the struggle so strong is that now I'm fighting myself. It's not Zuckerberg's fault or Steve Jobs' fault or Fauci's fault or Biden's fault. It's my fault. I've become obsessed with things and consumed with things and involved in things and addicted to things and then I hate myself when I am that way. So suddenly I'm in this battle and I'm fighting the enemy and the enemy is me. And that's why it becomes such a struggle because then I get down by it and then I get frustrated at it and then I get angry at myself 
and I get angry at others, and I can't handle things because I can't believe I just did that. Or I can't believe I just thought that. I can't believe I just felt that way. I can't believe I just allowed my week to get distracted by that. I'm not angry at a box or a device or a phone or a person. I'm angry at myself. That's why the struggle is so deep. Because I don't even know who I am sometimes. I don't know if I'm the best part of me or if I am the worst part of me. And that's why whenever you're battling any yetzahara, any evil inclination, whatever that means for you, it's difficult and it's hard. Because it's inside of me, it's become a part of me, and I'm fighting my own self. There was once a man who went to the Kotel and saw a rabbi. And he sees the rabbi crying and praying to Hashem. He's reading the Tehillim and he's crying and he's praying. So finally, after the rabbi is done, long white beard, this rabbi is such a pure person, the man goes over to the rabbi and he says, is everything okay? Is there something I can help you with? He says, no, no, everything's fine. I just got to a part of Tehillim where it says, I yearn for you, Hashem, and I'm crying because deep down, Hashem, I yearn for you so much and I just want to get closer to you. How about if I told you that that long white bearded rabbi at the Kotel is you. Because inside of you, you deeply want to get closer to Hashem. And you hate this side of you. And you fight it so badly. The Kiddushat Halevi says that when a baby is born, the baby cries right away. You know why they cry right away? Because they miss that closeness that they had to the Shekhinah, to Hashem, just a minute ago. They were in a, a world that was righteous. And they were able to be close to him. And in fact, Rabbi Shlomo Al-Kabetz is the great poet of Jewish history, writes that that's why babies lie soothed by music. Because it reminds them of that spirituality. And it reminds them of that Kiddushah and that closeness to Hashem. I saw this in an article written by a rabbi named Rabbi Klein. And I thought it was such a, a powerful concept and powerful idea. And so what the Yitzhahara does, what the evil inclination does, and his greatest and most effective tactic is he redefines who you are to you. Now, I'm a person that wastes my time on the couch. I'm a person that gets in a bad mood. I'm a person that gets angry. I'm a person that likes those things. I'm a person that needs to eat those things, needs to see those things, needs to be in those places. That's who I am. And when the Yitzhara makes me that's who I am, now he makes me fight myself, and basically I'm infighting inside of myself, and that's how I become a mess. It's not because of this one thing that I'm tempted by, one cigarette or one drink. It's because I turn myself into a mess based on that battle. He redefines how I view me, and then he makes me fight myself. I'll tell you another wonderful story. There was a rabbi named Rabbi Galinsky. He was in, taken to Siberia before World War II in Russia. And every night, in the middle of the night, one of the people in his barracks, maybe 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, would wake up, put on a soldier's uniform, march up and down the barrack for 4, 5, 10 minutes, take off the uniform, go back to sleep. Every night. 3 in the morning, uniform goes on, back to sleep. One night, the rabbi tells him, what are you doing? Are you, like, you lose it? What are you doing? He says, let me tell you what I'm doing. I used to be a general in the Lithuanian army. And then I was taken by the Russians and thrown into Siberia. 
I promised myself that I would, they're going to put me in that work that's low, that's degrading, that's demeaning, that's embarrassing. He says, every single night, I promise myself that I'm going to remind myself who I really am. So I'm going to put on my, I'm going to put on my general uniform and march like a general to remind myself who is me? Who am I? What makes me me? What am I? I'm not going to let them or anything around them define me. I'm going to remind myself who I am. Do you know how many people over the last 20 months completely forgot who they are? Completely forgot when they used to wear the general's uniform. Completely got distracted and hyped out of so many different things that they don't remember themselves when they're good, when they're vibrant, when they're strong, when they're happy, when they're productive. When they're that little baby crying out and close to Hashem, they forgot who that person is. So do you want to win the war against the Yetzirah? It's very simple. This is what has to happen. You need to create great moments for yourself. You need to create generals, soldier moments for yourself. Those moments don't happen by themselves. Those moments happen when you work hard, when you sacrifice, and you say, you know what, I'm not ready to go to class, I'm going to make sure I do. Those moments happen when you say, you know what, I want to read 10 chapters of Tehillim, but I really have to go, but I'm going to sit down and do it. Those moments happen when I say, for this one day, this whatever I'm struggling with, I'm going to work on it and I'm going to put it down or I'm going to stop doing it or stop saying it for one day. One day I am not going to get angry or annoyed the entire day. Because by the time that day is over, you will feel like a general in an army. You will feel like a victorious soldier. You'll remember who you were. And you'll be so much more prepared to fight the battle about against the Yetzirah. You'll be so much more prepared to take on whatever he's going to bring against you. That's why Hashem said to Noah, I'm not going to save you, says the Zohar. I could save you by just putting you in Israel. They say that Mabul didn't go to Israel. I could have just put you in Yerushalayim. I could have just made one area of land have no flood. I could have done that. That wouldn't have been hard. But that's not how you become a general. I'm gonna, the way you're going to become a general is you're going to work on that teva for over a hundred years. You're going to build that moment. The way you win the battle is not just by being handed it. The way you win the battle is by working and creating that ultimate me. Now Noah walks into the teva. He is a king. He walks into the teva. I built this. I worked on this. I fought the world to build this. I brought my family, I kept my family distance from all that's happening around it, and my family earned this Teva. It's a whole different experience. If you want to fight the battle, the world and the Yetzirah and the hype and everything that goes along with it, they are getting more and more sophisticated. They are getting better and better at what they do. They are not spending millions of dollars or even billions. At this point, they're spending net of trillions of dollars to beat you. And so they are, you can't just be dumb in a corner and say, I see no evil, it's okay, I don't know anything that's going on, everything's fine, I'm not, not worried. No, 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 you need to be eyes wide open. Drop the tamim and just be a tzaddik. Be a person who's willing to build yourself and create those moments so that in your mind you know who, who your truest you is.
So that one day when the Yetzirah shows up inside of you, you say to yourself, you are not me, you have nothing to do with me, and I'm going to destroy you out of me. There's a quote in the Pasuk from last week's parasha. It says, and first we'll give you the simple meaning and then the deeper meaning, and then we'll conclude with a little story or two. Imtetiv se'et. God told Cain after he said, if you do good, then good. Se'et, you'll carry. We'll see what that means in a minute. but if you don't do good and you don't become good, the sin is waiting to pounce on you. And I heard an explanation that's just a slight variation from the simple explanation, and here's what it means. In life, if you're doing well, se'et, you could carry anything. You ever have that day where you feel strong and you feel vibrant and you feel good about who you are and what you're doing? You can take on anything. Someone could comment, someone could complain, someone could be upset, and you could. But if you're not good and if you don't feel strong and you don't feel that general inside of you, everything bothers you. You hate that one, you hate this one, you're upset at this one, you're mad at that one, you can't believe what that one did. You're upset at him, you're upset at her, you don't like your parents anymore, your spouse anymore. You may barely like your kids at this point. You're just done with everything. If you do good, you could carry, you could take on the world. If you're doing good, if you feel strong about who you are and what you're doing, you could take on anything. But if you don't feel good, and you don't feel proud, and you don't feel confident, and you don't feel strong, and you don't feel that Hashem is really proud of who you are right now, you're going to have problems everywhere. Everything's going to bother you. And I want to give you two examples to conclude. My rabbi in 11th grade was a rabbi named Rabbi Mendel. This is in Moshe Feinstein's son, Rehube Feinstein's yeshiva. The 11th grade rabbi was Rabbi Mendel. He was the rabbi that we were unbelievably close to in the school, and he took our learning level to a whole nother level, and he used to go to him for advice. And I started to realize that I didn't just look up to what he said and what he taught. We all looked up to who he was. And last Yom Kippur, after a few months of battling an illness, at the age of, I believe, 61, he passed away on Erev Yom Kippur. We couldn't even pay a shiva call because they got up that afternoon. But I got a chance to make a little video about him, but they're doing a little fundraiser. But anyhow, this year on his yard site, one of these religious magazines put out an article about him as the quintessential rabbi. I couldn't believe more. And they told two stories. I've told a lot of stories, but two stories in there that both really accurately described the way I am, the way he was. And both of the stories have nothing to do with each other, but based on what we just said, I think they have everything to do with each other. One day, he was totally involved in Torah learning. I mean, always. So much so that if he was driving and he stopped at a red light, you know how, like, you grab your phone to check it? He grabbed his Gemara. I'm not joking. He would grab his Gemara and review the Gemara at red lights. One day, his son needed an errand done and asked his father to take him. So his father took him to the store and dropped him off at the store, waited outside for him to do the quick errand and come back into the car. When the kid came into the car, came to the car, he was like frightened. 
there were two gangsters sitting on the hood of the car. And then he looks inside, and his father has no idea it's happening. Because his father's looking in the book and can't even see them. He says, that's how involved in Torah my father was. Now let me give you the second story. A few weeks before he passed away, he's in the hospital. And the doctor comes into the room and says, at this point, there's nothing anymore that we can do for you. You only have a few minutes, a few weeks left to live. People in their room said, he didn't flinch. His eyes didn't lower. He didn't cry. He didn't scream. He just simply said, if that's Hashem's will, I accept. That was it. And a few weeks later, he passed away. There are people who live right. And then there are people whose lives are fine, but inside, they're a mess. They're a mess because they're waging a war against themselves. So the lesson from the Teva is that, yes, we start all these things off, we start off with healthy goals, but then they become addictive actions. And before you know it, become addicted to the action without even having the goal. And the only way to fight it is to redefine how I view myself and how I define myself, to create those powerful moments that remind me what it means to be me. Because when that happens, then I remember that I am a general in the army, that I am prepared for this war. Because I'm not fighting myself, I'm fighting some outer thing, and I'm like, I don't have any time, I don't need anything to do with you. Make yourself a better you. Remind yourself who that person is. Ignore what the world around you is trying to convince you you need inside of you. And watch how everything changes. Because the reality is, just like a baby when they're born, all of us are generals in God's army. Thank you.